Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, and join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I have a theory, a principle, and this theory doesn't come from the Bible, it just comes from my personal experience. And so I wanna share it with you, and I want you to test out this principle to see if this principle's true in your own life, all right? Here's the principle, and then I'll give an example. Here's the principle. I have found that the higher the status of a person, the more careful we ought to be in how we approach them. The higher the status of the person, the more careful we ought to be in how we approach them. Do you think that's true? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, when I go for walks with my family often, and we've got young kids, and my little Penny, my five-year-old Penny, is walking ahead of us on the path. She's just a kid. And when a neighbor is walking the opposite direction, I've seen this happen. It's okay for a neighbor to see my little Penny walking by and they might reach out to greet Penny and they might just pat my five-year-old on the head as she walks by. It's a kid, low status, pretty casual interaction. That neighbor didn't think very hard about how they approached the kid, it was just a quick pat. Now if I keep walking, and that same neighbor comes up to me and smiles and pats me on the head very casually. I'm going karate. Okay, I'm like, whoa, man. Okay, easy, easy. Because I'm a little bit of a higher status, aren't I? Peer to peer, neighbor to neighbor, he needs to think a little more carefully about how he approaches me. Now let's take the status a little higher. Let's say behind me comes walking the President of the United States and that same neighbor reaches out very casually in their approach and reaches out to pat the President on the head. And the Secret Service tackle him, right? <laughs> Is it true, just by experience? The higher the status, the more careful we ought to be in the approach. I think that's true. If the principle's true, how should we as humans approach the almighty, sovereign creator of galaxies? 
You ever thought about that? You see, the higher the status, the more careful the approach. And, and maybe you've been around church and, and you've been exposed to prayer. But today, what I, what I want to do is peel back and expose afresh something you've taken for granted. And that's the miracle that you, you, me, <laughs> could approach God at all. That's prayer. And so today, I, I want to begin, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, with two questions. How should we approach God in prayer? And secondly, and this is a tricky one, an interesting one, what makes Christian prayer Christian? Is there anything unique about it? That's where we're going today. So have your Bibles open. Matthew 6. I want to look at the text together. Matthew 6. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and I'm starting in verse 5. First, how should we approach God? in prayer. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching his disciples about a variety of things. And in the center of this context, he answers some questions about how to pray. And even in Jesus' day, people had ways that they approached God in prayer. There was common ways. I mean, culturally, of how people approached God in prayer. Jesus actually points to two common examples in everyday life of how people prayed. In verse five and six, he first looks at a religious group of people he calls hypocrites. These were probably pious Jews who would pray. And he, he notices and observes how they approach God. Do you see what he does in verse five and six there? How do these guys approach God? He calls them hypocrites, these, these two-faced people they pray in order to put on a performance. That's how they approach God. They pray to put on a performance. It was common in that day in synagogues. It was a great honor to be called from the congregation up to pray. So Penny Gates, it's a great honor. Yep, she came on up, right? Just like the synagogue. And, and they would covet that moment. Others, though, were so hypocritical that the Jews had marked times during out the day that they would pray. And some hypocrites got, got really fancy with that. They would identify the busiest street in town. They'd go to College and Mountain Avenue and they'd be watching their Apple Watch and they would notice that it was, oh, it's just about noon. It's about time for public prayer and oh my goodness, it's noon and I'm on the street corner. Well, I better stop and give a very beautiful prayer. Look at how many people are around me. Do you see how they performed? That's how they approached God. God was used as a performance prayer to reward themselves. That's one way that people approach God. Now, we don't do that today at all, do we? I know you don't have the Apple Watch and you don't go to College Avenue, but maybe you show up to church to pray and you read the prayers with us and that's the only time you've prayed all week. And you've got a facade on the outside of your public prayer life that doesn't match your private. Or maybe you show up to life group and yes, you're, you're praying and you've got long prayers. You've got pastor prayers. My poor kids, they gotta listen to pastor prayers. They're theological and they use big words and they go on and on and on and on. We don't do this today, do we? 
That's how some people approached prayer in Jesus' day, and, and truly, if we're honest, some people approach God that way today as a performance. Some people, Jesus go on, he goes on to say, some people approach God performing for God in order to get God to do what they want. That's what he says in verse seven and eight. He points now not just to pious Jews, but to pious Gentiles. This is pagans, all right? And they've got many deities and they have rituals and routines and repetition that they're using, and, and Jesus uses this word, there are many empty phrases, in order to somehow appease the gods, to, to twist them by formula into getting what they want. We see examples of this in scripture, even way back in 1 Kings 18. Do you remember the, the story of Elijah with all the prophets of Baal? And from morning till noon, it says in 1 Kings 18, the prophets of Baal, what did they, they do? They walked around. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. They said the same thing over and over and over, and they whipped themselves. And it, why? Because the pagans thought if we say it enough, if we repeat it enough, if we do these rituals enough, we'll twist the God's arms into giving us what we want. And I love Elijah. That's my favorite part in the Bible. And Elijah says, maybe your gods are, are taking a leak. Maybe they're going to the bathroom right now. Maybe they're asleep. Yeah, keep hitting yourself. See, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, does it? Now, we don't do that today, do we? There are no repetitious, routine, and rote prayers here. We don't do that. Do we? You, you've never tried to twist God's arm into answering your prayer, have you? No, it, you see, that world's not as far as our world today as you think, is it? They were real people, and we are too. They're like us, we're like them. <laughs> you got your repetitious routine prayer when you're about to put that first bite of spaghetti in your mouth and your wife looks at you and you go, oh, that, that's right, we gotta pray. Over the lips and through the gums, watch out, tummy, here it comes, amen. <laughs> and you did the prayer. And it counts, right? Routine, you don't even know what you're saying, right? Or maybe you've had that manipulation prayer, that, that arm wrestling prayer with God. Who, who hasn't prayed before that final exam in high school? You say, God, if you will just let me get a D on this exam, I will never swear again. I promise, right? And it's the manipulation trade deal. We never perform in prayer, do we, to get God to do what we want? That's just two of the ways that Jesus acknowledges and identifies how people approach God. It's a wrong approach. And Jesus is doing some correction. We approach God in many ways today. I mean, think about prayer in our context today. Prayer is a socially acceptable thing across any world religion, even for secular society. Think about it. I mean, in a cancel culture, you can't talk about much, but you can talk about prayer. Because Muslims pray, they got their five prayers a day. Buddhists pray, they got their spinning wheels, right? Um, Eskimos pray, Native Americans pray, secular people pray. I've, I've got evidence on Facebook. Somebody goes to the hospital, people that don't even know God, don't believe in him, will comment 
on Facebook, thoughts and prayers with you. Prayer. Everybody prays. Not everyone approaches prayer the same way. So if everybody prays, what makes Christian prayer Christian prayer? Is there anything distinct about it? And that's what I want to see. I, I want to argue this morning that our approach in prayer is critical if you want to pray as a Christian. It's critical. And let's see Jesus explain it in the text. Look with me. We're going to look at four words mostly today. If you, if you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, it actually has a very simple and profound structure. The first four words is an address or an invocation. It's a summoning of God. And then the rest of the prayer is just a list of six petitions. You've got three that are vertical, upward, and you've got three that are kind of God, uh, man-centered, our needs, right? Six petitions, one invocation at the top. Let's look at the invocation. I'm going to make three observations and then tie it together with a principle here in a second. Look at the first four words. Our Father in heaven. Three observations about how we should pray. When Jesus is asked how we should approach God, the first word answers the question, who's addressing God? And it answers it in a surprising way. If you asked me, hey Zach, give me some, uh, give me some tips for how to pray. And then I gave you an example prayer. I would probably use a personal singular pronoun to explain that. Well, when you pray, you could pray like this, my God, help me with this. But that's not what he does. In fact, every pronoun in the Lord's prayer is not singular. It is plural. Every one of them. It's our father, not, not my father. And that's significant. Now, don't hear me say that I'm not saying that you should always pray together because Jesus in that context just said, you should pray in secret at times and your father in heaven sees you. So there's, there's a place for private prayer. But in the model for prayer, Jesus chose that plural pronoun to highlight something. He's highlighting that, that prayer comes in the context of community. One way to illustrate this comes from C.S. Lewis via Tim Keller. This is one book that we referenced last week. Craig mentioned this at the top of our series. This is an excellent resource. If you wanna go deeper in your prayer life, I'd highly recommend this book by Tim Keller, which is simply called Prayer. He points to several theologians. One of them is C.S. Lewis. And hear, what, hear this, what C.S. Lewis argues about why we should pray our Father and not simply my Father. Why should we pray with people? C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis argues that it takes a community of people to get to know an individual person. Reflecting on his own friendships, he observed that some aspects of one of his friend's personality were brought out only through the interaction with a second friend. And that meant that if he lost the second friend, he lost part of his first friend that was otherwise invisible. Quote, Lewis says, by myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity or uh, to understand the whole man to mind. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Isn't that beautiful? 
If it takes a community of people to know an ordinary human being, how much more necessary would it be to get to know Jesus alongside others? Praying with friends, you'll be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you would not otherwise perceive. Penny Gates, there's she had to go. Thanks, Penny Gates, for praying. If she were here, I would tell Penny, Penny, you helped shine a light on Jesus when you prayed to help me see a new angle, a new facet of Jesus, and your prayer helps me know him better. That's why a fifth grader prayed for us this morning. And that's why we prayed together. Don't you see? It's our Father, not just my Father in heaven. This is corporate prayer. That's observation number one. How do we approach God? How do we approach God in prayer? Shouldn't only be solo. A piece of it, one observation, is it should be in community, corporate. Second observation. First words are, second observation. Okay, who's doing the addressing? Okay, it's, it's us, together, plural, Christians, addressing God in prayer. Who are we addressing? Who are we addressing? God right? There's, there's two words that help us understand and not take for granted who we're addressing. And we're quick to jump to the father part. We like that part, but I want to highlight first the next two words. He's a father in heaven. That's who you're addressing. You're not walking down the street and patting a five-year-old on the head. You're approaching a God who's in heaven. Let's let the Bible speak into this. I've got a few cross-references that can help us here in a moment. Look at the screen. Here's Acts 17, 24. This is who we're addressing. Who are you praying to? He is the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by man. Don't put him in a box nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He needs nothing, never. He's never gotten hungry. He's never been tired. He doesn't need you. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's who you're talking to, the source of everything. That's who you're addressing. Who is this God? He is the God who answered Moses. When Moses requested just to take a glimpse of God and see his glory, this was God's answer in Exodus 33:20. He said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. We just sang about that in holy, holy, holy. Though the eye cannot see you and live. Who is God? Revelation 4.8 says he is the God before heaven bows prostrate and cries out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who are we addressing? You don't pat this God on the head casually. You don't waltz up to this God. Moses couldn't glance at him or he'd die. He'd die. God, who who are you praying to? He is transcendent. He is other. 
and he is holy. It's principle two. We pray our, and we pray to whom? He's in heaven, this is God. Which helps us feel the weight of the shocking word that the disciples would have shaken their heads at. Jesus teaches how to pray. And Jesus answers the question, what should we then call God? What should we call him when we talk to him? And he answers, our Father. If you've been a Christian for a while, you take that for granted. Just want, that's, that's free. FYI, you take that for granted. If you were a Jew and a disciple following Jesus and he said that, that's not a common and familiar concept to you. In fact, when I survey the Old Testament, I'll, I'll admit there is some, very few, some evidence of God as Father being referenced. Okay, sometimes God is described as the Father of Israel. Very few references. I have found zero, and I challenge you to find one. If you can find one, please correct me. I have found zero evidence in the Old Testament of a prayer in which the prayer in the Old Testament addresses God as Father. I can't find it. This is new. This is a shift. God is addressed with holy and big words. Jews would not even write the word Yahweh. Modern Jews today, if you see a modern Jew write God, G-O-D, today, a modern Jew puts a dash on the O. That name's so holy, I won't even write it. That's the Old Testament. And then into that, Jesus says, when you pray to this holy, untouchable God that you'll just die if you even look at him, what do you call him? Jesus says, call him Father. That's stunning. That's stunning. It has so many implications. Think of that. There are so many titles that Jesus could have instructed us that would have been appropriate for us to address God. Our Lord in heaven, our majestic King in heaven, our all-sovereign creator of the universe in heaven, all appropriate forms. He chooses one word, Father, Father. And I, I wanna argue that word, that approach radically transforms everything about your prayer life and it's the one word that makes your prayer life Christian. It's the only word. Four words in an address, and Jesus puts the gospel right in the middle of it. Don't you see? Th think, think of if you approach God in a different way. Think of the implications. Most people see God as some, um, maybe he's kind of like a boss relationship, you know? There's a power dynamic, and we relate that way because you've experienced a power dynamic with your boss. And so a boss is a performance-based relationship that's transactional, right? The boss hires the employee. The employee has to work for the boss. There's expectations both ways. The employee is expected to perform for the boss. And in fact, the relationship's severed if the employee does not perform. It goes both ways though. Do, haven't you done this? Maybe you've done this with the boss. You worked a couple extra weekends. You did your boss a solid. You took like Christmas day to work. You're building up your credit, aren't you? 
You're building up that savings account and then you're gonna cash in. Hey, I need an extra three weeks off for this vacation to Hawaii. And you cash in on that relationship. And we treat God in prayer like that, don't we? You know, God, I've been really good this year. I only missed like four worship services the whole year. I showed up to church. I was even there on time and people noticed. God, did you see that I was there on time? And I've been praying a lot. I've been doing a good thing. I I got to know my neighbors. You own me. Don't, Don't you see, that's our approach so often in prayer. We approach him like a boss in a transaction. It's a performance based relationship. And Jesus uses one word to cut through it all. No, 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 no. That's, who not, that's not how you approach God. He's your father. That's different. If he's really your father, if he's really adopted you, this means there is nothing, nothing you can do to perform for him to be more of a son or perform less to be less of a son. You're my son. Doesn't matter what you do, I love you. You're my son, you're my daughter. Do you see, it removes performance. There's no room for it. And and in fact, there's no place for us to have credit because if we're adopted, we didn't do the adopting, did we? It's the father who chose you. He found you and he said, I will make you my son, my daughter. Don't you see it? that radical, there's, there's no space for coming to God and saying, I haven't cussed this week, can I get what I want? Don't you see how that changes the approach? Radically changes the approach. And there, there are tons of implications of this. I wanna illustrate these, but I gotta move forward. God calls us to call on God as a father. Now I've shown you that he is transcendent, he is holy. Moses couldn't even look at him or he dropped dead. And yet he's saying he's imminent and close and personal as a good, loving father. If, if my neighbor can't walk down the street and pat the president on the head, how could we possibly approach God as father? In, in other words, what's the basis? What's the basis of our approach? How could you possibly do that? And this is why the the gospel's right there in the word Father, in the the most popular prayer ever written, the most famous thing in prayer ever written. Our Father. See it, we could go to a lot of places and I'm running out of time. Let's go to one place, Galatians 3.26. That's right, let's skip to Galatians 3.26. This is the shortest way it's said. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's the base. That's the basis. There's no father if there's not a cross. There's no God, I come to you in this free, beautiful relationship where I get to call you father unless his son comes to die in your place. It's only through Christ, our mediator and faith in him that we have any basis to go before you. 
Look at, you know what this means about how you approach God? This isn't secret service, God surrounding him and trying to pat him on the head. This means in Christ, you're walking up towards God and he has legions of angels around him. Legions. And he's in an incomprehensible glory and you approach him and you're about to get burned to ashes but then Jesus stands as mediator. And he says, Father, I died for this one. This is my brother. And Jesus puts his arm around you and he, as your mediator, now you're able to approach the Father. And that, that God surrounded in holiness and light and legions of angels, you don't just get to pat him on the head. You get to run up to God and hug Amen. the God of the universe in prayer. That's what it means when we get to pray our Father, our Father. Our approach transforms our prayer. How do you approach God? How do you really approach God in prayer? What do you, what do you say when you pray? What's the title? What's the word you use? What's the posture of your heart? What's the frequency? Is it casual or formal? How we approach God radically transforms, radically transforms how we petition him. What you do, observe this week how you approach God and notice the condition of your heart when you approach him. If, if you make a request and you're anxious or you make a request and you're angry because you didn't get it, what does that say about how you view your relationship with God and how you approach him. I wanna argue that our approach radically transforms our petitions. I would even go as far to say it this way. The proper approach in prayer leads to the proper petitions in prayer. And this is central, and now I'm just tying the invocation, the first line of the prayer, to the rest of the petitions. How are those related? The proper Approach in prayer leads to the proper petitions in prayer. And I only have time to illustrate with the first petition, and then we'll continue in our series. Think about it this way. Who wants to start prayer with, Father, hallowed be your name? That is an unnatural request. You gotta admit, even for Christians, it's pretty unnatural. I mean, when you're a baby Christian, that's not the first thing out of your mouth, all right? When you're a baby Christian, the first thing out of your mouth is, our Father, I would like a remote control car for Christmas. We, that, that is the natural, sinful inclination of the human heart. We want what we want. We are me-centered. We're little me-beings. And the very form of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer starts with three God petitions, not three me petitions. That's so unnatural. And so the tension comes. How do you become that kind of prayer? Not just rote routine. How do you become the kind of person who wants to pray, who desires and longs to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. 
How do you become the kind of person that that's the first thing on your wish list? Oh, how I long for the name of God to be revered and schemed and kept holy in my heart and in more hearts across the globe. That takes a miracle. And I'm arguing it's the very approach, the proper approach, that enables you to make that request. If, see, see this, if you see God as a good and loving Father, and if, if, if as you approach him, you see the whole gospel and believe it, you recognize in the very words, our Father in heaven, you, you start praying, Lord, I recognize I don't even deserve to approach you. I deserve hell. I deserve to be ashes. I'm a sinner. And, and then you observe in that very phrase, but you call me son. And I get to call you father. And it's because of Christ and his sacrifice by your great mercy, I've been welcomed in. You just start praying the address, the first four words of the Lord's prayer. You know what starts happening in your heart? Ah. Oh. Worship. Don't, don't you see the proper address? It starts bubbling out of you. You've got the proper address. If you really see him as father, then, then you can say, yes, I, my heart actually longs to worship you. I'm in awe of you. Oh my, I'm a son. I want others to revere your name in the same way. I want others to call you father. And I want to believe it. And I, God, I thank you and I worship you. Do, you. do you see how that transforms your prayer life? It flips them on end. You know, start with me-centered prayers. Degree by degree by degree, when we address God properly, our petitions follow. Proper address leads to proper petitions. This is the heart of the gospel in the first four words of the Lord's Prayer. So how do you approach God? And when you do, what do you ask for? When you do, what do you ask for? If we get this approach right, the higher the status, the more careful the approach. And so as we walk up to God, if we really grasp this reality, if we can genuinely say in Christ that God is our Father, then, then your prayers, Christian, become Christian. They are in Christ. And you're not just praying what anyone else is praying you're praying because of Christ. God is your Father. This is prayer. I want to challenge us this week. I, I believe in prayer. I, I, I want to grow in prayer. I'm reading. I'm, I'm doing exercises. I'm trying to strengthen the muscles of prayer in my own life, and I want to invite you on this journey together as a church that we would grow in prayer. And so I've got two challenges for you this week as I close. Just two challenges. One, I want you this week to pray at least once before you show back up to church next Sunday, <laughs> okay? You gotta pray, and, and when you do, observe how you approach God. Just take note of it. Maybe even write it down. And you might even just catch yourself praying at the dinner table or praying at, at night or praying while you're driving and cursing at traffic in Fort Collins or something, I don't know. But you'll pray, and, and I want you to just pause in that moment and say, how did I just approach God? What name did you use? 
You say, Lord, what was the condition of your heart? Write it down, maybe. Observe. This is a first step for us reorienting how we approach God, is we gotta know how do we approach him already. Okay, so that's challenge one. Observe how you pray, and then challenge two. And I've got it in a little card right here. Thanks to Megan, thank you. Uh, you received one of these as you walked in. I, I wanna charge you and challenge you. You can do this, you can do this. What if we as a church memorized over this series the Lord's Prayer? I wanna challenge you to do that. This is a bookmark. You can stick it in your Bible. It's also tapeable. It's another suggestion. So you gotta do your hair in the morning and brush your teeth. That's how long it'll take you to try and memorize this. So tape it to your bathroom mirror. Recite it every time you brush your teeth. If you brush your teeth even twice a day, some of us do, twice a day, you will, you will be able to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And here's why, here's why. Now I'm gonna illustrate it as we close. I want us to use this not as a rote, repetitious formula to pray. But if we learn this pattern of prayer and then we improvise off of the Lord's prayer, it will, it will bless and benefit the form of our prayer life as we, we follow the instructions of Jesus. So I'm going to do that now and ask you to join with me. I'm going to pray the Lord's prayer like jazz music, just improvising off of the form of this, right? Let's pray together as we close. Father, what a privilege it is to get to call you that. And we gather together in this room, in this very formal setting, to call you Father. And God, I recognize you are in heaven. You are untouchably holy. And I often approach you so casually, so cavalier. Humble me, Lord. Remind me of my sin. Remind, remind me, let me know to the core of my being how unworthy I am to approach you. And that it is only because of your son, Jesus, in his sacrifice that I'm adopted into the family and I get to call you father. Thank you. Oh, how amazing this profound truth is. It has changed my life. And so may the name father be on the lips of more and more and more people that your name may be revered and cherished. I'm praying for people at the edges of small islands, the end of the earth, would call you Father because of the spread of your fame. I pray that your rule and reign of your kingdom would expand across the globe into every human heart, and I pray that your will would be done perfectly here on this dirt as I know it's going on right now in heaven. And God, I admit, Lord, I'm frail and needy, and so I, I come to you and honor you in my neediness. Would you provide today, just today? Don't give me wealth, I don't wanna be rich. I don't want those problems, and I don't wanna be poor. Just give me enough. Just give me enough for today. 
And, and, and more than my bread, Lord, I need your forgiveness every day. I know I'm indebted. Forgive me and, and use that reality to help me then forgive others how quick I should be to forgive others, Lord. And please then, God, as I walk out of this church service and as we go from this place, lead us not into temptation. Hold us up in righteousness and help us walk out as sons that we might represent your name well to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.